What is crackalackin', fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Albino Dennis Rodman coming at you with my fantabulous, certified fantabulous co-host, Mr. Grant Hughes. Before we get started, we're going to dig into our biggest questions that we each have for the rest of the NBA season coming out of the All-Star break. The quick reminder, the usual reminder, subscribe to us wherever you consume us. If you're checking us out on YouTube for the first time, hit that sub button, like, comment, help the algorithm love us back. Subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify if you haven't done so already. If you've done all those things, help us promote this podcast. Tell people about us. Retweet our promos. Just word of mouth passings. Tell friends, family members, enemies, coworkers, anyone who you know likes basketball about us. You can follow us on all the socials. That helps as well. At Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok. At Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. And finally, join our Discord. Uh, always looking to have new members who want to be part of productive discourse and chat with everybody. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. You could also DM us if for some reason the link isn't working, but it is working. So check out that link. Grant, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing very well, Dan. How are you today? They didn't ask you last time we recorded. Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited because we get to record this and I'm not going to publish it for like a day or two. And I know that there's no chance of being outdated. Hashtag uh, NBA All-Star break is kind of dope. <laughs> it doesn't really matter uh what we talk about there's a great chance that some percentage of it's going to be outdated because that's just how the league works basically that's fair this will be posting on friday so there will have been games by that point so maybe i spoke too soon we'll pretend that those games are not going to happen as we discuss these qu- questions which for my i don't know about you uh, we have not given these to each other ahead of time so there'll be some surprise there'll be all surprises um i'm not asking about uh any games so you're welcome for that yeah, this is big picture shit anyway. So one game, if you see, isn't going to change it. Do you want to? Do you want to start us off? I'm like, I'm at the edge of my seat. Oh god, so you're already you're overselling. Uh, you have to undersell. Okay, so I'll give you the first one. Um, so which team outside the bottom four, which I'm calling Houston, the Spurs, uh, Detroit, and Charlotte, pretty un- non-controversial bottom four. These are our tankers. Which team from outside that group is most likely to shut down veteran stars and kind of lean all the way into we're going to get into the mix here for one of these top four lottery odds spots. So, um, I mean, I could give you some of the possible candidates. You've got like Chicago, Indiana, Orlando in the East. The West is a little trickier because basically everybody that's not San Antonio or Houston is going to try to win games. But um, if you had to pick one, who's going to mail it in? I think is it is it wrong that I'm gonna say Indiana? That I just feel like we could see them because Tyrese Halliburton's gonna fall out of the NBA discussion, maybe because of the time he already missed. Uh, and you can just kind of you know you're gonna be awful without him. You shut down and sure, yeah, you're not gonna have top four lottery odds, but you get the top five. Like you could very easily usurp the magic there. Like you're already too far away from the the Hornets. You're not your nine losses better than them <laughs> right now. So I think that might be my pick. Is yeah. that off? Is that off the wall? I know that that's not really their, like, jam, but it's almost kind of just like, well, we're we're sort of here organically, and now we go into next summer or this summer with another high draft pick, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Mather, and Miles Turner locked down, and we still have those two picks from Boston and Cleveland as well, and a whole bunch of cap space still. Yeah, I think certainly that would be the team of the options available that we sort of or most, I think their over under for wins was 23 and a half. They're 26 right now. So like to, to mail it in now would just be getting back to like what everybody sort of thought they were going to do. And I'd say if any of these teams, excluding the magic, 
has a reason to shut down like a really important young player to avoid risking injury, it's for sure Indiana and Tyrese Halliburton, right? Like they were what one and nine in that 10 game stretch he missed after that ugly fall. So they just like, we know we're nothing without him. So if we're not playing for anything else, like he's the guy to rest for me, the pick I, the pick I would like it to be is Chicago just because of how fun it would be to imagine like the tension of, all right, we, don't want to make this pick too good because if Orlando gets it and they pick fifth, like that's terrible. I don't know if you should care about this, but the bulls might, but if we could get into that top four, like how bad do we have to go? Oh, and whatever to get into the top four. Cause the bulls right now have 26 wins. So yeah, like that's nine clear of Charlotte. So tough to do, but I think the bulls would be a really interesting, like, Oh, Zach Levine's not going to play anymore uh Lonzo Ball's already out for the season and that news came out a couple days ago uh let's just let's just chill out and see how bad we can get and hope we luck into uh keeping our pick somehow with that top four protection that would be a fascinating like you like man they won't do it they won't do it to be clear it's too if they were gonna do it it's too late because right. like you you just don't if you were gonna be able to get in the like bottom four of records to where you're at least there's a coin toss you keeping your pick but now you'd almost have to settle for the fifth worst record at best, but maybe even like the sixth worst. Right. Record. Yeah. Low payout there. So my question is which, which team that was supposed to just be, which, which, what's going to go down as the biggest disappointment of this season. And I'm specifically looking at a team that's not going to make the play in or not make the playoffs that was just supposed to be there. And so the names that I'm immediately thinking of the warriors, the Timberwolves, I don't include the Lakers because I don't know who's really disappointed by them. Uh, but also the, um, who did I say? The Warriors, the the Timberwolves, Timberwolves. Oh, and the Blazers like have to go down as a pretty massive disappointment. I don't think there's anybody in the East that maybe the Pelicans. I think if you want to loop them into there, but that's also a West, like because they're still, look, the Pelicans are only two losses in front of the 11th page place jazz so those were basically i just named the entire western conference playing field right now but the blazers the warriors the timberwolves the pelicans those are kind of who i'm looking at as the biggest disappointment in the east it's just like if the bulls don't make the play in that was just never like you know yeah yeah i think i was actually looking back at some of the over under win totals and like our projections for the standings we did several months ago and so based on that for me Minnesota would clearly it's like I think I had Minnesota being like third in the West with like 52 or 53 wins or something like that. Um, and that, you know, I don't think they're going to miss the play in round, but like they're just nowhere near the regular season team. I thought they'd be. I think we both agreed that like the go bear acquisition came with some playoff questions, but at least for, you know, the 82 games during the season, he was just going to be a defense unto himself. This was going to be a top five defense, top 10 for sure, easily. And the offense would just work. And Towns being hurt, I guess, like gives you some cover there uh, for, 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 it gives me cover for missing that prediction so badly. Right. Um, but it's still like you don't trade your whole draft for the next half decade plus and get worse, which is like very much a possibility right now. Um, and at the very least, it's a disappointment that they're not, a, you know, for sure a top four team in the, in the West, top three, let alone top three, which is where I thought they might be going into the playoffs. We were both absurdly high on them leading yeah, into the regular season. We had questions about their playoff viability. Their defense has been good when Rudy Gobert's on the floor. Their offense, yep. you know, we can say that Towns missing him has been part of the disappointment. 
and they were a little bit better before the trade deadline, only they then traded one of their most efficient players at the trade deadline in D'Angelo Russell, who was having a heck of a stretch. And like the first three games of Mike Conley haven't looked particularly great. How long does yeah. that take them to integrate him? Uh, but like the offense with Towns, Edwards, and Gobert on the court this season has ranked in the eighth percentile of efficiency like, for cleaning the glass. It's hard to even understand how that's possible. And it's it like Mike Conley's not just going to come in and change right. that. Right. Well, just normal regression is going to change that to some extent. But like, it, I mean, when's Towns coming back? Do we even know yet? I, I feel like they, the hope is like with 10 to 15 games remaining in the season. Yeah. So it's not even a lot of time to yeah. I think. So my pick, I think the Timberwolves are a good pick. I just feel like they're still going to probably make the play in. I am a little mm -hmm. bit more nervous about the Pelicans. I came closer to choosing them than I thought I was. I'm going with the Blazers because yeah. you don't get to say that you're on Damian Lillard's timeline and then fucking sell basically at the deadline. I think when you look at just the net aggregate value that they got for all of their assets, it's fine, but it's still sort of like a Damian Lillard's timeline, my ass situation. Yeah. Like there's so little about what they're doing is inspiring. They're trying to rebuild around two undersized guards again. Like we haven't seen that movie before. Only you have a worse version of Yusuf Nurkic who I don't know if it's because he was trying to play through an injury um, like leading into the, to the all-star break. But like we saw his minutes start to decline while well, he was, again, he eventually got sidelined with that calf injury and he was trying to play through it. Like what you're going to go pay Jeremy Grant, 25, almost $30 million a year. Is it a guarantee he comes back? I would say probably yes, if they're willing to pay him, but if you don't, that's even a bigger disaster, but to not even be like right now, they have to like leapfrog two teams to get inside the play-in. And so are they going to be better than the Jazz, Thunder, Warriors, Timberwolves, and Pelicans? Which of those two teams are you going to jump? Maybe the Jazz, because they're clearly not interested in now. But, oh, hey, the Lakers are right behind you, and they look a little bit better on paper. So it's almost like fending off three teams. It's just, I liked their team on paper this year. And I'm not mm -hmm. saying they were supposed to be a title contender, but you looked at this roster, saw you were so far below, not saw you were below 500, outside play-in territory, and did jack shit at the trade deadline to bump up your immediate ceiling. And yeah, I get that you were asset strapped in part because Neil O'Shea traded that one pick protected until the end of time to Chicago. But like there had to be other moves on the tables. This franchise, it doesn't, whether it's Neil O'Shea or Cronin, like I'm tired of watching them aim for these singles and doubles or fucking walks at this point. Like you have to go for the triple or the home run. And that's just a massive disappointment and yeah okay maybe Tybal or reddish kind of pans out as a keeper like they're not going to change the tide or the tenor of your season here and so i recognize that like maybe they weren't good enough to significantly level up but then you should have picked a more wholesale direction where it's like if you actually believe in this core shaden sharp's name should have been linked to someone over the deadline yeah. the fact that he seemed untouchable in og ananobi talks was wild or we should have heard more about oh you wanted to shop yusuf nurkic okay fucking cool Nobody wants that contract at this point. Why didn't we hear more about trying to pivot with Anthony Simons? That's a player that I think would be fairly coveted. So they're just so uninspiring to me. Yeah, I, I think they're distinct uh, from, we've talked about Minnesota and you mentioned New Orleans, because I think those two teams can look at this year, however it ends and say, well, like we had, you know, Gobert was harder to integrate than we thought and, and Towns got hurt and, you know, there's all this other stuff. And the Pelicans can say, like, everybody was hurt and we're really young. And if we do nothing, we can come back next year and, like, 
either Minnesota or New Orleans could be have home court advantage in a first round series, you know, in 2024. Totally plausible. If the Blazers don't change anything, what are you hoping for? Like Shaden Sharp levels up like that's, you know, Simons learns to play, tries to play defense like once. Like what are your what are your sort of uh, what is going to soothe the ache of like being 11th in the West? You know, like where is your upside? Where is your where's your path out? I don't know where that is for Portland. That's that's the difference, I think. And and why they're a good pick. Um, I have a question for you unrelated to the trailblazers probably unless you go in a weird direction um what is the most impactful injury for any player that's hurt right now for the rest of this season so like not oh who's screwed because this player's hurt like the the way the injury shakes out like how long this person's out the difference the team the difference in the team with and without this person um, I'll just give you mine to me. It's Steph Curry. That's like the most boring answer of all time. But like, that's to me is the one that I think is going to change or have the most potential to impact. Like, I don't know the playoff race, you know, who makes the conference finals if you really want to get crazy with it. Um, but there's so many others. I'm curious what you think is going to be like, this injury is going to have these, these massive ripple effects. I actually think it's Zion Williamson's injury and just sort of the open-ended timeline. The Pelicans have been so bad since he went down. I think the last time he played was January 2nd. And in that time, they've had basically the league's worst offense. We haven't seen their three-point attempt rate uptick. And so this idea that, oh, well, like Zion just put so much pressure on the basket. That's why you're not shooting threes. No, that's that's actually not the issue here. So they're 25th in offense during his absence, 7 and 16. They've been about league average defensively during that time. Like if you don't know when he's coming back, and you're in playing territory right now with no guarantee of still being there, by the way. Like I said before, there are two losses in front of the 11th place Utah Jazz. There are three losses ahead of the 13th place Los Angeles Lakers. And so to not have him right now, when B.I.'s been playing well and that yet you're still losing games, is wildly unsettling. Because let's just say he comes back. There's only like 10 or 15 games left of the season. Yeah, the margins in the West are so thin that there's time to like get some separation or secure. But what does he look like? come back from another lower body injury. And so I guess I'm just of the mind, like Steph Curry's going to come back and be Steph Curry and the Warriors are going to get into the playoff. But like, if you tell me that like Steph isn't coming back within a week or two after the, the all-star break, then maybe it becomes the Warriors. Uh, Sneakily, it could be Giannis with the wrist injury. That was like very, like he'll play again when the pain subsides. And Giannis is the guy where he's like, well, it's like he dunked with the wrist injury already in the all-star game. So, but I think it's Zion Williamson because we're already seeing just like the Warriors have kind of tread water without Steph. The Pelicans have drowned yeah. without Zion. I'd, I'd throw into we're an Anthony Davis or LeBron, you know, two week absence away from the Lakers. Just, well, it was all cool that you tried, but you're not making the plan. You know, you're totally out of the plan mix too. That those are, those are hypotheticals, but are they hypothetical? Like based on the age and history of, of those two guys respectively? Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly don't know. My my question to you is, who is the title favorite? My title favorite is the Celtics. Um, but I've been increasingly, before the Giannis injury, thinking about going back to uh, Milwaukee. Because as we've said, for most of the year, we have no notes for the Bucks. There have been notes inter- intermittently, but um, those are my two 
the West, I don't like, you know, any of Denver or Phoenix more than either of those two East teams. So I think I'll go Boston. They need to get healthy. They are uh, the only team coming out of the all-star break that's in the top seven of both offense and defense. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not like a wild out there pick. I, I just think, I feel like, and this is another, there's no stat for this, but it just sort of feels like it's time for the Celtics. Like they've been, you know, to conference finals, what in like four of the last six years, couple wins away last year, ran into a dynastic Warriors team, like could have beat a lot of the other teams they might've faced in that finals. Um, they just, they're at the right age range. It's just like, it just feels like if the Celtics are going to bust through, like this is kind of, this feels about right for it to be this year to me. I'm with you, except I think that Milwaukee deserves to be the title favorite. The Giannis injury changes that a little bit. And the Nuggets were my title pick. I just don't have questions about the Bucs. And we've seen it. They're coming off that 12-game. They're on the 12-game winning streak. Yeah. Seeing what they can do when they're big threes on the court. You add Jay Crowder, who can really only help you. Myers Leonard, what a banner addition by them. He's really going to have this huge impact on that 10-day. Um, I think that their half-court offense worries me. But, like, there's a lot of variability in Boston's offense as well. And so, like, the fact that there's variability in Milwaukee's yeah. offense isn't a huge deal to me. I would say like, yeah, you can trust Boston in the half court more, but like Milwaukee's defense, I think has like this just smothering gear right now. And maybe Boston's does as well too. So it's between them. I think I just trust I'm defaulting to, Oh, this, this team has Giannis who will be the best player in any given playoff series. But it is a weird thing to say because I do think, and maybe it's not because we've seen Boston just commit turnovers when they're under pressure or not go through their, their entire offense. But it feels like Boston's offense is more playoff proof. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm just, have the finals tattooed to memory where we saw them just kind of so discombobulated on that end of the floor. Yeah. I was just going to say that, uh, yeah, first of all, it's nice that we're back to no notes for the bucks. I'm glad we made it full circle. Uh, I think that that is the real difference between the offensive struggles that both Boston and Milwaukee can kind of find themselves in where, you know, Boston turned it over 15% of the time against the Warriors in the finals, which is just like, that's worse than the Rockets this year. That's just like an obscenely high turnover rate. So the, the Celtics can just like totally come unglued and Marcus Smart will throw passes into the stands and like nothing works. And it's just like a disaster. The Bucks are like, the Bucks struggle offensively, but it's different. It's like the gears grind and nothing's no, there's no space. But then it's just like, well, Giannis runs into four people and he gets free throws. Like they're, what? they're, they're solved for their offensive issues is like just cleaner. Cause it sometimes seems like the Celtics just don't know which way is up. Whereas the Bucks can just kind of be like, give it to that dude. He'll go run into people and we'll get, you know, two two cracks at like a 64% uh, free throw. And it feels like the Bucks' offense is a bellwether, good or bad for how the rest of the game is played, where if their offense becomes a slog, the entire game is this rock yeah. fight. It doesn't always feel that way with Boston. Right. Well, because the way that they look bad, create transition chances for the other yeah. team and then it just snowballs. That That's like, that's that's a big distinction for them. Um, all right. I got a, I got a more of a niche one for you. Can you give me a reason that Russell Westbrook's tenure with the Clippers will be meaningfully different and therefore like somehow positively impactful than it was with the Lakers? Look, the theory of how to make <laughs> Russell Westbrook work is to surround him in an environment with four shooters in which he's also insulated defensively. The Clippers can absolutely do that. And it just so happens that two of the people that help do that are these A plus wings. So like you could technically run pick and roll with them or you could have Russ set screens for them, 
we get to a point where he brushes never set screens. And so this theory of him doing that, him upping the pace of your offense, their offense hasn't been the issue for them over the past month or whatever it's been. They've actually had more problems with like rim protection, and their defense. And there's been some unlucky opponent three point shooting there as well. But like, I think it's just this, the setup around him, but I'm also the pathway here is rush chose this place. While his options may have been limited, he hasn't chosen where he's been since he re-signed that extension in OKC. Washington, Houston, I guess he like kind of chose, but not really. And then the Lakers, I guess like, yeah, he wanted to be there. So you could say that he handpicked at least two of those situations, but like now he's choosing to be here. And so there, there has to be no illusions as to what his role is going to be. However, I will say I am concerned in the sense that we had uh, the Athletics Law Murray reporting that Russ is expected to start, which is just like, if you're replacing Terrence Mann in that lineup, that's, that's fucking wild. And maybe we'll know the answer to that by the time this publishes. But I, the, it's this roster, more than Houston's, because they had Clint Capella at the time. They had to go remember trade Clint Capella, yeah. basically, because Russ was there. More than Washington, more than Lakers, more than the Thunder at the time is the setup for Russell Westbrook to be in what should be his ideal capacity right now. Do I believe that that's that it's going to work out? No, I wouldn't have made the signing. I ultimately believe that good or bad, he's not going to move the needle enough for this to matter. I was surprised at how many people acted like he was going to be guaranteed like 27 plus minutes a game. Terrence Mann was never going to see the floor again. Neither would Aaron Gordon, uh, Eric Gordon. We'll have to see how it pans out. I wouldn't say I'm hopeful, but I do think that they're that again, the, that's the path. I don't like is just yeah. the four shooters. Two of them are these a plus superstar wings and he's insulated defensively. So this just shouldn't look terrible. Yeah, no, that's a really good answer for an impossible question. It's almost rhetorical. Cause like it's implied that this will not be meaningfully different. And, and obviously that's where I would default to That's why I asked it. But I do think even if, this is where it's sorry to be so negative about it, but like, even if you're right, and and I think there's a chance you are, because this is the right, this is a way better roster than he's been on, given his limitations now. Um, the problem is, certainly if you're going to start him, you still just can't play him in the playoffs. Like, forget, you know, the finals or the crunch time or whatever. It's just any halfway decent playoff defense will just not guard him. We'll just sag off. We'll just, and like, congrats. Great. If, if Russ, if you want to attack and cook and try to beat us, that just means Kawhi is not isolating in the mid post. That just means Paul George isn't running pick and rolls or coming off pin. Like it's just, it's just a win for a defense in the playoffs. If Russell Westbrook is involved in the game. And so it's the same argument that made the Lakers thing ultimately so stupid, which was that if your goal is to win a championship, you've added a player that cannot help you in the games that matter in that effort. Like you just, he shouldn't be out there. He will hurt the team if he's doing normal Russell Westbrook stuff, even in a better situation. So like, I just think there's a chance regular season, it could look better, but in the games that the Clippers actually care about or should care about, he's just like, he's a non-factor at best probably. And then at worst, he's actually doing damage. Would you give them, and the odds makers have already given them a worse chance of winning the title since they added him, would you actually lower their title odds based off the addition of Russell Westbrook? Can we talk about how wild that is? Like that, that, because that's, I guess it's just saying you believe that if it doesn't go well, Tyler is still just going to play him. Right. Right. Which, like, I don't know, maybe. uh, I think, I don't think I would lower them because I would just hope that what happens is he is a non factor. 
Um, and it's not like, it's not like, well, he took minutes that were going to go to Reggie Jackson and John Wall, who would have been helpful. It's like, that's not it. It's just, well, Terrence Mann will just play and then that'll be, they'll, they'll be fine. That's, that, that's how I would look at it. My question to you, which deadline acquisition, non-Kevin Durant division, is going to have the biggest, most material impact on their team for the rest of the year? The trade deadline was so long ago. I can't even remember what the big trades were. Um, that's like half half of a joke. So we can't use Kevin Durant. Who else did something of consequence? Uh, Denver didn't do anything. Memphis didn't do anything. You want to hear my answer? Yeah, that help give me you? give me a couple at least. Well, sorry, what's, what's the phrasing of your question? Because I want to going to have the biggest Kyrie. impact. I didn't specify whether it be positive or negative, yeah. but okay, I have mine then. <laughs> it's it's the Kyrie Irving trade. Because uh, of the fallout, we've talked about it before. Like, I think we both agree that the defensive uh, give back in losing Finney Smith uh, and the pick doesn't matter, except for the part I'm about to get to. The Mavs might not be better on balance this year for the rest of the year. And then you have Kyrie Irving could leave, or worse, Kyrie Irving could resign. And now you're tethered to this guy who's going to come up with reasons to not be available or be difficult or otherwise sabotage your team chemistry. Um, so that if you're talking impact, the 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 taken to its full like extent, the impact of that trade is Luka Doncic wants out of Dallas at some point, like sooner than maybe he otherwise did. So that that's what I'll go with. I oh, actually think it's D'Angelo Russell mm-hmm. in LA, just because he's played really well this year for most of it, like hitting his pull of threes, hitting his catch and shoot threes. I think that if you just let him run pick and roll with Anthony Davis. Like he's going to be a fine maestro for that. You can, I don't want to say you can insulate him defensively, but just like you have Anthony Davis there. And so and it is maybe Jared Vanderbilt as well. And so I think he's going to end up being big for the non LeBron minutes, especially when he's playing with AD. I think he's going to be big to open up the floor for the Lakers in general during their top end minutes. And I just, I, I think I never thought I'd be at a point where I'm higher on D'Angelo Russell than consensus. But I think we've reached it because if I, people just kind of rid it off. It's like, oh, it's it's fine that the Wolves traded him for Mike Conley. And I'm sort of just like, you know, it might not be. Like, yeah. Mike Conley's old, and it's okay that he has chemistry with Gobert, and his body language might be better. But, like, D'Angelo Russell is higher ceiling at this point. And that gives the Lakers just more of this detonate of nature. Where, yeah, I guess things could technically go poorly because there's variability in his performance as well. But if you're looking to actually make the play-in and you have to finish ahead of three teams that are in front of you right now, it actually feels like this was a pickup that leaves you equipped enough to do that. Because I think he helps you in so many different ways on offense that I don't think that people are giving enough credit to. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Russell is kind of a, uh, I don't know, divisive figure, I guess, because... He does a, he does a handful of things really well. Like he is, I do like how he runs pick and rolls and how he can, you know, pin defenders on his back and just slow down and play at the pace that he wants to. That's like a real, that's a real skill that, you know, maybe his, you know, effort and, and certainly his defense for long stretches, like just isn't there. Um, But I would like to think that he's kind of in the perfect spot, like both in terms of, his age where he's at in his career like his skill level and his position with the lakers where it's like you're the point guard you're the third best player though so like you can go get yours when we need it but really you just kind of need to make this offense run functionally 
and we have length and, and, you know, enough good defenders behind you on the back line to sort of survive. Like it sort of, it ticks a lot of like, okay, this makes sense. That makes sense. This will work like that. That actually does that, that is going to have a, have a significant impact. Cause I think like he kind of is positioned to be like the best version of himself mm-hmm. because of the surrounding talent and just like what he'll be asked to do. And like, now it's, well, the Lakers clearly have like a third guy, you know, he's maybe a low end third guy or not a perfect third guy, but if you're going from Westbrook to him, it's not a one-to-one trade, but like Westbrook was not the third guy, He, but, but Russell, I think definitely can be. Um, let's see. Oh, I got, this is going to be in your wheelhouse here. Um, how do you, Dan, or a Pelicans fan, how do you feel right now relative to what you thought about New Orleans in the preseason or even what you thought, I mean, this is makes it harder when they were like, oh my God, they're first in the West and then they're second in the West, like, just where are you at in your sort of enthusiasm or belief uh, like bar, like bar graph or like a rolling, rolling average chart, you know, because it was pretty high. Um, and there's still a lot of positives that you would take from this season, but it's not going to end. I don't think quite as, uh, as happily as it maybe seemed like it was, but like long-term your outlook on the Pelicans is, different in what way from what it was preseason or during the year earlier. Okay. So long-term outlook. How do you feel if you're a Pelicans fan right now, I guess is this the shrunk down version of that question. I think you should probably feel unsettled because it's just long-term. I think you just look at it. It's like, Oh, they still have all these tools to make trades. Trey Murphy has shown so much this season. You have Dyson Daniels just has not played a ton, but you know what his defensive ceiling could be. You still have Brandon Ingram there's so many options for them on the table, but you are getting to a point where you're expecting the organization, I guess, to go into the luxury tax because you have all this talent, but if that talent doesn't get parlayed into like an actual playoff berth because Zion is injured again. And it makes you wonder like, how do you flesh out the rest of this team? Like to scale ahead of that, if you just can't count on Zion playing in more than like how many games during any given regular season, he's going to be at right now. He's at, 29 games he might get he's not getting to 40 i don't think you don't think yeah so if you can't if you can only count on him to play in half of your games every season but can you even that's fine if oh well can we also count on him to be available in the playoffs you don't know i am so if if i scaled this on a one to ten i was probably like a 9.5 on the pelicans future i'm more like a soft 8.2 at the moment because the zion bugaboo is just it's there now and it's like we had the question of would you rather have zion or john morant you're not even allowed to ask that anymore in my mind and this is coming from someone who picks zion yes you can't ask that because john morant is on the court more and zion is not and it sucks because we've seen what this team can be with him but i also feel like they've kind of hedged and have not really doubled down on what they might need most around him where it's like hey you need more higher volume functional shooting and it's like the the cj mccollum trade was nice that helped your shooting but like he's not this high volume off ball three point shooter. You didn't go out and get that guy at the trade deadline. And you still, I just feel like you haven't leaned into the perfect front court model with him either. It's still been Jonas Valanciunas is there. We have Larry Nance jr. Willie Hernan Gomez and Jackson Hayes is there. They still should have been a team that should have been in on miles Turner. I know there are people that think that Jonas Valanciunas is flat out better. He's not, not for this team. He's just, he's not. And the other thing that I don't want to hear anymore, I'm the Pelicans have all this depth. I would say, given how much time Zion has missed, even relative to how Herb has regressed on offense and the time he's missed, how much time Brandon Ingram has missed, the Pelicans are kind of a disappointment because teams would kill 
to have this supporting cast without Zion if they're or without their best player. Mm-hmm. And the Pelicans are just like, they've been terrible on offense without Zion. The defense has been meh. And like now you have BI playing well. You're still not winning games there. It feels like there's something fundamentally broken with the process here where it's they haven't committed to a concrete direction in terms of building their team. It's they have a great team on paper, but it's sort of like you look at it and say, well, there's still these glaring needs and they just elected not to address them yet. Is that out of fear because they don't know what to expect from Zion or they really think, well, we were in first place in the West for like two days this year or whatever it was, which I kind of get that. I'm, like I said, still incredibly bullish on their future, but not as much as I was a couple months back. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm in the same place. I think it sort of comes down to like just how heavily you weigh everything and like other than Zion's injury because almost everything else is positive. Like even the other injuries to the players, you know, Ingram or whoever else is like, well, we were still really good and we missed a bunch of guys. We still have all this depth. We still have all this these picks piled up. We still have, you know, guys like Daniels that I think and Trey Murphy and Herb Jones and all these like rookie scale contracts that are just like Jose Alvarado, that these are real NBA players that are young and that are going to develop. And like everything is, is, is angling up and there's all this potential and that's all awesome. That's like, you know, just almost everything has, has like shown promise. And then it's, but then you weigh it against Zion's hurt again. Like this is now it's been every single year. It's all in the lower right side of his body. So it's like, if you're, it's not even a conspiracy theory, if you're suspicious, it's like, well, this all is close enough to being related to where it's like, this could just be continually degenerative and nothing ever works right again. And it's like, I don't know. I'm I'm so bad at like analogies of like, uh, like this, but it's like, you have an awesome car that sits in the driveway that has all the bells and whistles you want. And like, it's paid off and everything. And it's great. And it's like, except like half the time you get in it, the, it doesn't start. And that's like, that's how fundamental Zion is to the team to where everything else can be great. But if this one thing that has been like your biggest fear from the moment you drafted the guy is going the bad way, which like, it seems like it is, then I don't know how much the rest of that matters. So I guess it's just, if you think that this is a blip and Zion can be counted on for 50, 60 games a year, then you should be over the moon because that might be all it takes. But if, if that's not how it's going to go, then the rest of the shit doesn't really matter because you know, your, your ceiling is set and it's not high. If you're just, if you have a max salary superstar that just isn't going to play. So I don't know. I wanted to test that on you because you've been higher on them all along than I have. And that's just because I'm a relentless pessimist that always thought Zion would get hurt. So, you know, this is a low hanging fruit question. I covered it in detail on a previous podcast with the timeline pod, but is the Kevin Durant fit in Phoenix going to be seamless? What do we expect from them moving forward? Are they one of the two or three most or foremost title favorites right now as a result of this trade? It's also theoretical. Even as we were recording this, there was the news that he's not going to make his debut on Friday. It's going to be Sunday or Wednesday. And so like you're even winnowing down the sample you have further. And so is there any concerns as someone who's removed from the sun's bubble about how well they're going to fare right off the bat? I just don't have any. Um, I think he's fit into situations that were harder to fit into. Like with the Warriors, like that, you got to learn how to play in that system. It's not quite, there's nothing quite so complex with the Suns. Uh, Even in Brooklyn, like trying to play with briefly Harden, Irving, like that's, 
those are challenges that like that's harder. I think really, and Durant probably is like the most fittable, scalable we overuse. It's not quite applicable here, but he's like he fits everywhere because there's just there's nothing he does that gets in the way of anybody. Like because if he can take a shot, it's probably a good shot. So it's not like he's jacking up you know low percentage looks. Um, so no, I don't have any concerns about that. And I do think I think is a have- low percentage Kevin Durant look. Is it a pass? <laughs> yeah basically yeah if he just takes a shot clock violation that's low percentage um I, and so yeah i think i think phoenix uh if i had to pick a west team to make the finals right now it's which is stupid because he still hasn't played but i would pick phoenix to represent the west in the finals i think him and booker are just about as good as it gets and they'll figure the rest out that's so yeah i i have my concern level is real real low for them. how many offenses would you take over phoenix's I mean, maybe Denver. Um, I'm not sure where else I, yeah, that might be. Sacramento's maybe. 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 They just don't have, I mean, just like in a playoff series though, where it's like, I'm so much more worried about, I got to devote all these resources to Devin Booker. And so we're going to leave Kevin Durant single covered or not shade everything to him. Where if it's like Fox and Sabonis, you can, you can cram, you can, try to just throw three bodies at the pick and roll and then hope that Kevin Herter and Malik Monk don't hit everything. Like that's, there's a, there's a pathway there for me. I I will say my concern is Deandre Ayton who's been playing a lot better lately. Carbon made to be in this role with these other three guys on the court. Is he going to enjoy that? And I think it's easy that I'd mentioned this on the podcast with the timeline guys. He's been paid. And so it's like, do you really need to like test this higher usage stuff? no, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm, I'm with you. That should sort of eradicate this. However, there have just been reports that he was not pleased with management and how all the contract stuff played out, which I get. So you've now botched the extension talk. I'll use botch, but he's now, he wasn't thrilled with how the extension talks played out. Obviously not thrilled with how free agency played out. He had to go get his own offer sheet. Then, okay, yes, he's been paid, but you just, the all the reporting is they tried like hell to include him over Mikael Bridges in the Kevin Durant trade, there's the element of, well, it's just, it's Kevin fucking Durant. Like, that's how you do it. But they so clearly wanted to move you instead of Mikael Bridges. Just how does that sit? And so he becomes this wild card for me. He's all of a sudden, I've said this to you. I said this on that pod. He might be the most important defender in the NBA right now, just based off what you gave up. I know Kevin Durant's had a great defensive year. Josh Okogie's been shooting a trillion percent from three. So now you can keep him on the floor, it seems. But yeah. they need him. We've seen him in the playoffs for two years, basically play really well on the defensive end. Like you need him to be dominant mm-hmm. on the defensive end now, and you need him to be engaged, yeah. effective and consistent basically on offense. And that's something he's all, like, that just might be the, I, I don't think I've ever swung high low for a player as much as I have for Deandre Ayton. And that might just be his stasis is yeah. turbulence. I think like, yeah, it's terrifying, especially for a team that we think has the potential Phoenix does to absolutely need buy-in from a guy that has not seemed bought in for like very important strength <laughs> in his career. So yeah, that that's a great point. It, he he is like a point, but we know it's in there. We know right. he can be a, a big minute center on a team that friggin' makes the finals and it's like looks like they're gonna win it. Like that's it's there. I- I, just, I also wonder, like, it does seem like him and Mikael Bridges were pretty tight. It seems like Mikael Bridges was pretty tight with everybody. Right. I know he was, like, probably most tight with Cam Johnson. Does that impact him at all? We're sort of like, there's I this. Mean, him and Devin Booker are similar age, but there's almost like this generational gap still between 
CP3, KD, and then Aiton. And then there's this classist gap between Booker, CP3, and Kevin Durant, who are like part of the superstars club and DeAndre Aiton isn't. Yeah. And so that that sort of does worry me too. Yeah. And no, also I just like that... you traded two very good vibes guys in the locker room mm-hmm. for Kevin Durant for as much as he loves hoop and needs to be like immortalized for that apparently and just wants to play basketball. The past two locker rooms he have left have not been on like been in great states. Yeah, that's fair. And and certainly I don't know if I blame him for the Brooklyn one, but like he was the problem with the Warriors that last year. Like well, <laughs> he also did. I don't care whether how he meant it or if he apologized, but he basically had that interview with Chris Andrews. Like I'm playing with fucking Edmund Sumner. Right. Like, how am I supposed to bad win? Look. Bad luck. Okay. Uh, my, this is my last one to you. Um, what's the buyout acquisition that's going to matter the most? Um, and framed against the historical precedent of like buyouts almost never matter. Like there, there's like a Kevin Pelton's written about it. A lot of people have discussed it where it's just like, we get all amped up in the post trade deadline glow wondering like, Oh, who's gonna go. Oh, but the, what if this guy hits the market or what, you know, Oh, Westbrook's going to start for the Clippers. Like, we get a little overzealous, but there have been a lot of buyouts this year, like an unusual number. I think it's nine or 10 guys. And most of them are names people actually know. <laughs> so this is a little bit different than it's been in the past. Um, I know my answer. I'm afraid it's going to be yours. Uh, but but who's going to who of the buy guys that have been bought out that we know where they're going? Um, who do you think is actually going to like do something that matters, if anybody? By matters, do you mean detrimental too? Like, help, could this help, help. positive? Help. Positive. <laughs> um, this is a tough question. Can I? I'll give you mine if you want. Yeah, go ahead. I think is it going to be Danny Green? No, he's my number two. I, I think it's Kevin Love. Um, and it's wow. just assuming he gets to Miami. I still am so hung up on he was second. Why would he not get to Miami? It's just well, like, he, he's is already, he already there officially. Yeah, he's he's there. Okay, well maybe his plane will get lost. Or <laughs> <laughs> An Amelia Earhart situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll disappear. No one will ever know. He, uh, it, it's just like he was second in six man voting. I mentioned that all the time last year. And it's just like he's not that much worse. He's just, you know, like he's aging. He's a little slower. He's a little worse on defense, but he's not like a meaningfully different player from that guy. The Cavs have just sort of changed around him more so, I think. Um, but specifically, like he's still going to be a threat to shoot the ball from the perimeter. Um, and I, it is tricky to figure out what you do defensively with him, even if Bam Adebayo can like solve a lot of problems. It's just the defense is always going to be a question, but the Heat are ninth in three point attempts per game, which is fine, but they're 28th in percentage. So they just need somebody that's going to get up four or five a game and make one or two or three, like just, just that little bit is going to be a huge difference for them, especially since like, otherwise, you know, Jimmy Butler operates inside the arc, uh, Bam Adebayo doesn't shoot threes. So just to open things up for the other guys, if you can have love out there, maybe he's even, you know, facilitating a little bit too, with which would be crazy with Autobio out there at the same time, just to make a few threes. Like, I think it's not, I think a little bit could go a long way from him in that specific regard. And the Heat are a team that they're seventh in the East right now. Just that little bump might be the difference between having to go through the play-in and getting to like, probably not fourth, but like could get to fifth pretty easily. So, so that he, he's my pick there. I don't really have an answer. I want to say Danny Green with Cleveland just because of the experience that he's going to bring to the playoffs. But is there, with the way that Okoro's been playing and Levert's been playing, like what is the guarantee on yeah. his playing time? I could also see it being Reggie Jackson in Denver mm-hmm. a little bit. Does he improve? There was a minute where it looked like the bench minutes were going to be okay and they suck again for Denver. And just does he bring some 
steady. He brings steadier shooting than Bones Highland, not the same like sort of multi-level shooting, yeah. but maybe some steadier shooting. So could it be him? I also think there might be a case for Justin Holiday, sort of like a rehabilitation project in Dallas, if someone's just shown that he can defend, like kind of one through four. Him. They need yeah. him to be like just some version of Justin Holiday badly. So like those would be my picks, but I think you're probably right on love. It, I guess it could technically be Russ. I just wouldn't. I don't think it's going to be Beverly. And there's no names that I'm sort of waiting on. Like I thought Goran Dragic was going to be the guy that got bought out in Chicago after they added Beverly, but I guess with Lonzo being injured, they decided Tony Bradley was the the way to go. I, like I don't see any other candidates. I thought like is there a chance Kelly Olynyk would have gotten on to the open market because he only has a partial guarantee for next year, and the Jazz aren't interested in winning. That would be a name to keep an eye on, but I imagine he's not going to be anywhere near the buyout market. Otherwise, I don't know that Miami would have gone after both Zeller and Love. Yeah. Uh, but like if he ended up Milwaukee or something, like that would be a game. I don't like that would be an absolute game changer. Oh my God. Yeah. No. Good for Kevin Love. He matters again. Uh, in the eyes of this podcast, apparently. <laughs> so I have a but I let me narrow down my last one. So my last question is going to be which team? is more likely to make a significant change after this season if it does not end in a title. Denver or Memphis? Or which, and even to frame this, which team to you is better equipped to win the title this year? I think we would both agree. I mean, we both wouldn't agree that it's Denver, but I think the level of pressure is different. And look, someone's, this question to justify it was born from the fact that so many teams are going to go home disappointed earlier because you're looking at all these teams in the West that have these aspirations. Like, like some of them might lose in the first round, but if you're looking at Memphis losing, let's say they lose in the first round, mm -hmm. eminently possible, or even the second round, do they go and turn around? It's no, we're not blowing up our core, but we're trying to get a hot. We're going to trade actual stuff for a higher profile guy. If it's Denver that doesn't win the title, it's like, okay, we, we have Jokic as a three-time MVP. Like, we've paid the luxury tax now. We've paid our entire core. Like, what is the move? Do we right. pull back? Is there a consolidation trade? So which team do you think their postseason, let's say their postseason ends sooner than expected, which basically is the finals for both teams. Right. They have those aspirations. Which one is more likely to make a major change? I think this is, I think it has to be Memphis, and it's really more than anything because they can or it's easier for them than because Denver it's like, what do you do? You're, you're like, you're not doing, obviously you're not trading Jokic. Like that's like, don't even need to say that your other options are, we're going to try to turn Michael Porter jr. Into something else. Like what's his trade value. I don't know that it's positive. You're going to swap out Jamal Murray. I don't think I, I imagine if Jokic was consulted, he'd say, we're not going to do that. Um, and I don't know what you'd get anyway. And then you're just tinkering on the margins. Memphis just like, and I think it's much more likely, by the way, that Memphis is the team that is, you know, more profoundly disappointed by how it does in the playoffs this year than Denver. But it's not just that, you know, Memphis is going to finish here. The season will end sooner. It's that they have more tradable contracts. They have picks. They it's just like it's just easier to change. Um, but on the flip side, like they are the younger team. They are right. the team that if they're being totally rational about it should say, well, let's have a little bit of progress here. And then next year we're going to all be better. Right. And so yeah. maybe we shouldn't do anything, but they just have the means to do it. And I think they're more likely to be disappointed than Denver. So 
It's a tricky question. It's an interesting question. I think it's probably them, though. I have the same question between the Sixers and the Heat. Their postseasons end earlier than expected. Which team is more likely to make major changes? Well, we talked about it a little bit before. I think the Sixers might be more likely to look different, but it's like, are they making a change if Harden just opts out and leaves? I don't know. Um, but the Heat, though, the Heat hate this, right? They hate, they, they're, they just, they don't like hanging around the, right. you know, six, five, six, seven range of the playoffs um, with Kyle Lowry's salary, just like, just a massive albatross now. Um, I think the Heat are typically the better bet to like, okay, here's here's the massive sign and trade uh, for the offseason or something like that. They, they seem more likely just based on their history to just make some some wild swing. I think I'm with you because I, I don't buy into the Harden to Houston stuff as much as everybody else. I think the, I think maybe he'll sign a shorter term deal than people are expecting with Philly. I think that's how it ends up. But like if they lose in the first round, then maybe anything's on the table. I think yeah. it's probably more likely that Joel Embiid requests a trade than James Harden leaves Philly on his own accord. Ooh, that's a hot one. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we we do need to start thinking about what superstars are going to ask for the next be the next player to ask for a trade, but. Um, yeah, I guess like, because the thing is, the Heat don't really have realistic, you know, conference finals aspirations, but the Sixers for sure do. And so the potential to be more disappointed and therefore more like we got to change something is is probably greater for the Sixers. This was fun. And I feel like pretty quick moving for us. I don't know how many questions we got to, but I think we did like eight. So do you want to take us out of here? Yeah. Uh, as, as always, everybody, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have not already, please uh, follow us, rate, subscribe. Uh, just get in get in with us everywhere you can on YouTube. If you haven't already, follow us on our socials on Twitter and TikTok, Instagram. Uh, check us out on our Discord. Join our Discord so you can be part of the conversation. It's always a good conversation. Uh, we get a lot of good questions from there. And also, uh, you know, we always say tell your friends. I would like you to tell a stranger. Just like find a person that you don't know and say, listen to the Hardwood Knox podcast, great review, subscribe, and uh, just see what they say. And, you know, maybe they'll tell three friends and then we'll be the most popular podcast in the world uh, if that continues. But as always, we close uh, in addition to telling you to talk to strangers uh, with a shout out to Frank Nilakina and an apology to Jared Allen.